0: Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're gonna put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. He discusses his podcast, Hawk Talk, as well as how he thrives on a lack of consistency. He also tells the guys about the time he was a top-ranked World of Warcraft player. AJ revels in the San Antonio snow, and Vincent wishes he was more entertaining. Give it a listen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is another episode of The Marketing Stir, or else why else would you be hearing my ridiculous voice and seeing my face? It's another episode of The Marketing Stir, brought to you by Starista. Who, Starista? who are they? Well, Starista, we're an identity marketing company. We actually own our own B2B, B2C data. Customers, our amazing customers, utilize that data for marketing purposes to get new customers. Email marketing. We have our own DSP. We own it. We don't farm it out. It's our own. We can execute media for you. Connected TV, OTT. I'll throw out 11 other acronyms at you, but you get the point. Email me at vincent That is how confident I am in our services. I just gave the world-ish my email address. Oh, it's so great to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Also with me, as always, we ride shotgun together on this podcast journey. Not in real life, because he's in San Antonio. I'm in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, the San Antonio slugger, Mr. A.J. Gu- <laughs> AJ Gupta. That's a new hey, one, A.J.
2: That, that's a new one. It's always new. So San Antonio slugger. Sometimes <laughs> I'm afraid
1: before the podcast. Thank you. Well, I can't keep coming up with new ones. Uh, every I don't know, because I was like San Antonio slugger. He's already the San Antonio slayer. Everybody knows that about him. But he's the San Antonio slugger in tennis, you know, the tennis champion of the under 40 league, right?
2: And over 40.
1: and over over
2: over 18 (laughs) over
1: over 18 i'm like what are you playing in the over 60 league what are you secretly trying to get in there no wonder why you're winning all these tournaments
2: (laughs) yeah so it's uh, been a crazy year here already it actually snowed in texas come on for for anybody who thought 2021 is going to be less exciting uh, especially in texas not not so
1: That's crazy. What did you guys? It was like Armageddon there when it snowed. What happened?
2: Yeah, I think uh, some of the schools actually got canceled, and all the Austin school districts shut down. It was panic all around. So, uh, but I I stayed calm and napped. So, no worries.
1: Yeah, yeah, the napper. uh, Our next guest. You may not know this yet, uh, but our. Uh, our own CEO here, AJ, is a huge napper. He's a huge fan of the nap. Well, only
2: only on Saturday and Sunday, to be oh, clear. Oh,
1: Saturday, Sunday. So, yeah, so. Saturday and Sunday. Okay, not during the day. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm on a call with him, just chatting, he and I, he'll fall asleep. As entertaining as I think I am, I uh, I bore him still. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's always always on point here with me and the podcast. Speaking of on point, ladies and gentlemen, very excited. To have this next guest on the podcast he is a podcaster himself hawk talk check it out ladies and gentlemen it's easy to remember it rolls right up the tongue hawk talk you'll find out why it's called hawk talk in a moment but ladies and gentlemen we have the ceo and founder of hawk media ladies and gentlemen eric huberman what's going on eric yo yeah, buddy thank you for having me happy to have you here calling in from beautiful santa monica i believe it's in california it has santa in front of it Yep. It must be beautiful. I've always heard of it. I, I know it as the Santa Monica Pier. Isn't that from the movie, The Lost Boys? There was like this, did they go to the Santa Monica Pier?
3: I, I can't remember, but I'm sure they did. And yeah, that's down the street. Oh, that's awesome. Were you from California originally? Yeah, born down here. Grew up in a small town near Santa Barbara called Ojai.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. But Eric, I want to get into immediately what, so I, tell people, out there you're the you know you're the founder and CEO of Hawk Media tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about Hawk Media and then the second question there I'd love to understand your role within the organization obviously CEO and co-founder but walk mm-hmm. me through a day in the life sure.
3: yeah so hawk media basically an outsourced CMO meaning chief marketing officer and marketing team to companies so we go into brands identify where the holes are in their marketing strategy and then spin up different experts all a la carte month to month so it could be a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a web designer, a fractional CMO. Uh, we've been around about seven years. We have a little under 200 people at the company. We, uh, we manage marketing for about 600 brands currently, anywhere from tiny startups through a bunch of Fortune 100s, a bunch of brands you guys would know, at work with Estee or Nike, Unilever, et cetera, Red Bull. Um, and yeah, that, that's the core business. We also have a venture fund where we invest in marketing technology mostly. Uh, we have a capital arm where we actually give financing to companies trying to grow and scale. So uh, give them loans to help them scale their businesses. Um, and yeah, continue to build it out. So day in the life, for me, there's nothing consistent about it, which is by design. Um, I, I know everybody talks about routines and like, you got to wake up at 4am and hit the infrared sauna for three hours. And then you got to do some yoga. And like, I get up, I stare at my phone like anyone else, take a shower and get to work. And what I do like is not having a consistent routine which was frankly tough throughout the past year with COVID because that was a lot harder. I used to travel every week. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's really identifying new opportunities for Hawk, uh, trying it out if it works, hiring someone to take it over and going from there. So I named mean, the Venture Fund, the Capital Arm, we have an M&A practice where we're buying other agencies. We have uh, the podcast, you we, we know I'm writing a book. I uh, We launched two big events a year. Uh, we have the Brandies coming out in, April, which we haven't formally announced yet, but we're gonna be doing a basically annual brand awards show. And then we also have e-commerce week LA that we partnered with the city of LA on. This past year, we had 7,500 people tune in digitally to watch it live. Um, So, you know, always doing new things. And once those are all handled, I basically hire people, already have people that take them over and off my plate. I contribute and help and find the next thing we should be doing.
2: Eric, how did you get into podcasting and what's the podcast all about?
3: Yeah, so that's recent. We launched our podcast, I think it was October or November, I think October. Um, And it was, it was actually just, it was a part that felt it was missing. I have a bunch of amazing friends and contacts I've made through running this business that I don't do business with, or maybe even I do. But, you know, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk or Chris Birch, uh, or uh, Sophie Amoroso, um, Rachel Zoe, all these cool people. And I hate that I'm not naming some of the others because they're going to be offended. But um, they, I, the, all these people that I know that I've had a relationship for a long time, maybe I have done business, maybe I haven't, but I don't really get to sit down and talk to them for an hour and hear their story. So as a self-serving reason was like, I just want to hear like, how did these people get to where they are at the top of their game? And it wasn't just, I've named a lot of entrepreneurs in that. It's also, you know, Sean Merriman, who is on the chargers with, you know, Baron Davis, two-time NBA all-star it's, um, Colin O'Brady, who uh, was the first man to hike the entirety of Antarctica by himself. People have done incredible things. And it's like, Colin and I have no business to do with each other. Like, I'm in marketing. He's in, he's climbing, literally right now, he is climbing K2. I think he's the first man to try it in the winter. Or the first man to, I guess, anyone else to just try to do or something. Like, he's doing something crazy here. Um, and so, like, there's no business to be had. Maybe at some point, we create a piece of content together. But I want to hear his life story. How the hell do you become a guy that decides to wake up and go across Antarctica? So that's where it started was meeting all these fascinating people, wanting to hear more. They're not really, like he's in New York Times, but sorry, he's not going to take time. I had dinner with him once, but like, I'm not going to sit down for an hour and just talk to him. But if I throw the name podcast in there, now they're willing to sit down and talk to me for an hour. So it's worked exactly, how I hoped. And then what's distributed distribute it and let an audience hear these cool stories too. Great. We
2: had a similar idea when we, started this podcast, Eric. So tell us about how at such a young age, you've gotten to know all of these kind of big names like Gary Vaynerchuk. And how did you start Hawk Media?
3: Yeah. um, So yeah, kind of separate stories. But although I was starting Hawk Media first, because I think that probably isn't it. So starting Hawk Media, uh, I got out of school in 2008, went into real estate uh, the entire banking industry collapsed a week and that whole year I made $350. I'm trying to make a really long story short. I ended up building over time three different e-commerce companies. First one was music, built it for two years, got it profitable, hired a CEO to take over, then built two consecutive subscription e-commerce fashion companies. I sold each one. Um, and so by, this is now seven and a half years ago, I'd built a reputation for myself of knowing how to build and scale e-commerce companies when it wasn't really, it was just starting to become a thing and so I was one of the only free agents in LA that knew all about this and had all the credibility in the world, but was willing to advise for other brands. And so I started doing that. But then when it came time for them to execute on all this stuff I was advising on, it was always hard for them to hire people to actually do the work. It's hard to find good talent that understands digital and e-commerce. Plenty of people put it on their resume. Most of them, frankly, are full of shit. And, and then if you do accomplish to hire them, afford them, because good people are expensive, it's hard to do it yourself and operate in a vacuum because the industry changes so fast. You need that outside perspective, which is why every major company uses agencies. The problem is on the agency side, there's no barrier to entry in starting an agency and 99% of them are full of shit. And the few that are any good tend to get really expensive, long contracts, high minimums, and are really hard to work with. So I got frustrated. The original thing, reason I started was just, I need a team that's going to help the clients I have. So I'm just going to hire a few people and start doing the work for them. And then from there, I realized like, this was a bigger problem. Like accessibility to great marketing is a problem. Like people do not have access to great marketing talent and they get screwed over and over and over again. And so I wanted to fix that. So the mission statement we have is accessibility, accessibility to great marketing for everyone. And we continue to build out on that moniker.
1: That's an awesome story, Eric. We're talking to my man, Eric, 30 under 30 Forbes. I love that. And Eric, talk to us about, so what was, you know, let's go back to college, right? Was it so far off for you so long ago? But what did you study in college that, you know, A, first you were like, oh, I'm going to get into real estate. And then B, uh, no, I'm going to build out e-commerce companies. What was your background? What did you study in college?
3: Uh, I I partied a lot. It was fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Went went to the University of Arizona. I I grew up, as I mentioned, in a small town. My graduating class was 11 from my high school. Wow. I needed, I wanted social. Like that was the number one priority. And not because I like, I actually like in high school, wasn't a big drinker or anything. I wasn't that party kid in high school. I just like, I need to get out and meet people. Like I don't, academics came easy to me, thankfully. And so I didn't really have to go to class to get decent grades. Like it was, I just picked stuff up really quick. So I went to have fun and I look back at how I was freshman year. I was like most awkward nerdy guy ever like I remember I even got called out for being a nerd which I thought only happens in movies but that actually (laughs) happened to me in
2: college like
3: who calls someone a nerd in college like that's weird and and it was I'll never forget it and I actually ran into the the girl that did it like and it was like I was on a math team and a guy was at or someone called me to fix their computer and I was like oh you just need to unplug your usb port and plug it back in and hang up and this girl sorority girl in my group goes oh my god you are a nerd and like and then I remember like this nice guy that I actually ended up doing business with uh Frankie goes, come on, he's not a nerd. We all know what a USB is. was like trying to defend me. And it was like, I remember this like freshman year, like, fuck, I am that guy. But (laughs) came into my own a little bit as we got through it. Um, But I will, yeah, I didn't go to class that much. I didn't need to, but I also, um, I took management. Business management was my focus because I wanted a generalist degree. I actually made fun of marketing majors because I was like, what? You draw pretty pictures? Like, I had any room to talk. Cause I don't know what the hell I was studying, but I was like, marketing. Yeah, whatever that is, was really my view of marketing at the time. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, you draw pretty pictures. I know it's like uh communications or marketing, any of that, right? Which which I majored in, so I'm not I'm not not knocking it. And I don't know how to draw pretty pictures, but you're right. It's it's one of those, uh, it's funny. A nerd and yeah, you never hear that in like college. It's like only like these nineties movies where you're a nerd and then like twelve of them break right. out and dance
3: and, and I song. don't think I've reflected on it in a while. It was actually pretty funny. And I remember being like who do, like I was literally telling someone how to plug in a USB drive. Like, well, how is that a nerdy thing? But, I, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you, you know, you weren't and playing like,
1: you weren't playing Settlers of Catan.
3: Just kidding no, out I there that for now. all the Settlers
1: of Catan yeah, people. That's not nerdy. Great. Game. great game. I, I've, I've no, played, it is nerdy. The I, difference is, nody, is nerdy.
3: nerdy. is in vogue now. That's the difference. Like, I was a competitive gamer in high school. I was yeah. number three in the world when I was in eighth grade in Warcraft three. Wow. I could never talk about that when I was in high school. Like, I would have gone just skewered but now it's like you make millions of dollars back then you make you get a 60 dollar mouse as a sponsor Like that
1: yeah. that's crazy because now like i i have small children but not old enough now where some of my friends and maybe aj this is you know a little bit about this like people are watching people on youtube yeah. play games right yep. it's like a 10 year old
3: sister concept yeah i have a 10 year old sister that watches incessantly and doesn't play the games like it's not like it's kind of like how we watch sports, where it's like I don't play football, but I watch football. Yeah. She like legitimately doesn't play the games she's watching videos of. Which, yeah, I don't even uh, get. this. Yeah, it's video. like how
1: we watch. Like it's like oh that's Peyton Manning. They're like oh that's like yeah. you know Bill Dinkins, and he's yeah. like the number three. That's crazy. Wow. No. Well,
3: let's
1: uh, let's go back. Also, Eric Hawk Media. Like the name, what, yeah. Where did the
3: name come from? Yeah, I'm really trying to figure out a really creative lie around this so that I can have a better story. <laughs> I have my, um, a, a personal hawk of my own. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm a bird like, watcher. Like, I <laughs> was, on, I was on a mushroom trip and I had this vision quest. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, yeah, need to figure that out. But I, uh, yeah, what happened? I grew up again, grew up in a small town. Red-tailed hawks were everywhere. The part that I don't normally share is like, I had like my mom had a lot of hippie friends that decided when I was like, I always loved red-tailed hawks when I was like six, seven, eight years old. And they decided that was my spirit animal and used to tell me that and that they were watching over me. And so I went to name my company and I was going to call it growth hacker group. It was when growth hacking was just getting started. I was like, we're going to be the growth hackers. And thankfully a guy that I'm still friends with that ran an agency that was originally one of my partners in terms of like, I would send him the business to do media buying. He's like, dude, I just signed Walmart as a client. They will never sign a contract that says hacker on it. Keep it simple. Don't go over the top, just something right up the you know, middle that people think they might have heard of. I'm like, all right. And his company is called Lamarck Media. His name is Brian Shetzky. I talked to him yesterday. It's still, this is, and again, this was seven and a half years ago we're having this conversation. So I went home and got on GoDaddy and uh, typing in different things. And I typed in hawk, I liked red-tailed hawks. And I, I had like, you know, a scratch pad of like, what about this name and this name? And his name, you know, he had media too. So I pulled from that and I called it, I tried hawk media without the E and it was taken. I own it now. But at that point, the white domain was taken. But with the E, I threw an E on it. I was like, oh, that's not taken. And then then I realized, so growing as a little kid, my mom taught me to tell people that my name is Eric with a K Huberman, um, because my name is Eric with a K. But I actually thought my last name was with a K. So I took those initials, Eric with a K Huberman, jumbled around, (laughs) you have Hawk with an E. It's like, that's fun. And moved with it. (laughs)
1: That's cool. That is a cool story.
3: Keep in mind, when I named it, it was just so I didn't call it like Huberman Consulting in case it turned into something, but it was just me. So there was no business. So I didn't have some big picture of like, this is gonna be huge and on a skyscraper. It was just like, I don't wanna call it Huberman anything because I want people, if I do grow it, not to be just calling for me. I wanna build a brand. So leave that open. So that's where it came from.
2: Eric, how did you get into investing and what are some of the criterias you look for when investing in a company?
3: Yeah, so got into it. So. Uh, I mean, my dad's a big real estate investor and developer. So like investing in general, I've always been uh, privy to and a witness to. And I put like my first chunk of money I made with, with Hawk flow wise into a piece of real estate. So that part is like in my lineage. But I always, in the beginning of this and even my last gig, I always vowed that I'd spend my time on risky things and growing things. And I'd spend, put my money into conservative things like real estate. And so I got approached by two buddies of mine that I, that had a newsletter that I was buying media from. And they're like, hey, we're going to pivot to e-commerce and we want to raise some money and we want you to be an investor. I told them like, hey, I don't invest in startups. I spend my time on that stuff. I don't want to put my money in. They're like, no, 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 we're not asking. We're telling you you're going to invest. You just decide how much. And so I gave them $5,000. was like, at the time, I was just getting started. I was like, that's enough that I won't miss it at the time, but let's try this out. And that company is called FabFitFun and is now worth about $3 billion. Um, so that $5,000 is worth maybe close to a million. Um, which is insane. And so that took off very quickly. And so then I was like, oh, we should start looking at some of our clients and things like that. Maybe we should be a little more open to this. And so I put more money into BeautyCon, which I talked to the CEO today. COVID's been hard on BeautyCon, but it's like one of the biggest beauty conferences in the world um, that turned into that. We started, we invested in them when they were a $3 million company um, and like just continued to perpetuate that. So we invested in seven companies off the balance sheet. And then brought on a guy, actually, I think before we invested in all 7 brought on someone that was going to help us manage that portfolio, as well as we were doing a lot of sweat equity deals, meaning taking equity for services and what we did. And after about six months, he goes, hey, man, your cash investments are crushing it. You've done really well here. Your sweat equity deals are a waste of time because most of the companies willing to give us a bunch of equity to do some marketing aren't worth it. And like, if you co-found something, that's one thing. But if you're just jumping in and a company's already started, and they go, Take our, be our agency, we'll give you 10%. Bad sign for the company and their ambition. And so we should focus on maybe raising a fund. And that was a year and a half ago. So we started working on that. And fast forward, we raised, we haven't closed the fund completely yet, but we've raised most of the fund. We've invested in nine companies. We just had our first exit at 5X in a year, um, mostly focused on marketing technology. The reason is similar to how you see You know, we talked about Rob Deerdeck, like how you see some of these guys invest. We have a platform now that we can deploy these on. So when I invested in PostScript, which is a great SMS marketing tool that's now like the number one SMS partner to Shopify, we uh, onboarded a bunch of our clients. We made it a service of ours because we believed in SMS marketing is why we invested. And to this day, I think we're close to 10% of their brands that are on that platform came through Hawk Media that we onboarded in our SMS service and then onboarded onto PostScript. So, we were able to juice that company, make it much more valuable. They obviously are incredible as well. They t- ran with that. And based, I think our value in that company is probably 15 times what we invested in. It's been a year and a half. So, it's those kind of deals that we really like to do. Plus, we get access to really interesting consumer companies that would love to raise from us because of what we've built at Hawk Media, that we get access to deals that we always look at as well.
2: Oh, pretty cool. So what's kind of some advice you have for people who are looking to start their own venture?
3: Um, have an unfair advantage. Um, that's, well, I actually, let me start with first off, because this is the biggest hurdle, 95% of people don't get past this, just do it. Our number one core value at Hawk Media is get shit done, and meaning done. Not meaning working. I don't care if you work hard. I really don't give a fuck. I have a four hour work week or a 50 hour work week or a hundred hour work week. None of that impresses me. And I've been a dick to people in the past. who are like, I'm working a hundred hours a week. I'm like, good. That sounds like you're being an idiot. Like delegate, hire. What the fuck are you doing? Why are you working? No, you're wrong. I've had many, many, many weeks that I've worked that long, but it's usually as I'm getting something ramped up to offer to someone else. Like, And then I have weeks that I can take off too. So like, if someone is just for years working a hundred hours a week, it sounds like they're a bad operator. They don't know how to delegate and build structure because then if they get sick or they get hit by a bus, it's over. You lose the workhorse that's working hundred hours a week and you're that critical of the business. You have no scalability whatsoever. So um, number one is just get shit done work, you know, move it forward complete things, launch that business, get to market, stop overthinking things. That's, um, Oh yeah. And B, have an unfair advantage is a really big thing. That's, we look for that when we're investing. Sometimes we are that unfair advantage. Meaning if we invest in a software company, we become their partner. We're now going to onboard them to 600 companies. We're that unfair advantage. Um, but something that allows you to outpace your competitors and the other people that may have the same idea, because ideas are a dime a dozen. And usually when you come up with an idea, it's because of timing of things in the market. And someone else probably have the same kind of inkling because there's a lot of people in the world. So what's going to make it so that you can compete and execute it better than anyone else? That's important to look at because there's so many people that know nothing about the tech that think some app would change the world, but don't know how to execute it at all. I generally say, unless you have a co-founder you can trust to be that piece, don't do it. Like Go on to something that you can be good at. And Eric, I, w- I want to talk about the
1: the methodology or the, stru- the structure of the company, you mentioned 200 employees there. Are the 200, are, are they all full-time? Yeah. Oh, and, you know, that's not the question I have, but also the breakout. If you're talking to a new client and they don't have a marketing team, like you said, yeah. are you going in and you're saying, all right, I'm going to put these six people on that. This is how we're going to build it. Do you start recommending vendors? Like, I think you need, Marketo yep. as your marketing automation, for example. Uh, we have nothing to do with Marketo. I hear they're
3: great. Anyway, but that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, we basically, we have a team of people, our growth team that goes in, does an audit, looks at what the company's doing, what their staff is like, what they're already executing on, how it's working, and then goes, here are the things that you should be doing. Here's how much we charge for it. It's all out of cart month to month. So you can start with what we recommend, or we can you know, tweak it. And then when those people ramp up, meaning let's say you hire us for email marketing, strategy, uh, Facebook ads, they're going to come in and go, hey, for email, like you don't have an email system. We need to put in whatever, Marketo or Clavio or OmniSend or one of those. And, you know, depending on the company. And then if, you know, strategy, which is our outsourced CMO, where we get on um, tagline and our moniker is um, that that piece of it is really going to look at the overall picture and identify tons of things the company needs to be doing. And like different softwares, different partners, and we have a really, we have a robust partnership team. We have three full-time people that all they do is focus on our partnership ecosystem of all the other vendors and things that we think can help our clients. So we're constantly looking for new partners, vetting new softwares that bring into the fold. And we don't mark it up. We don't do any of that stuff because the goal is that they get a benefit by working with us, all these added benefits.
2: How do you guys kind of attribute your success and how do you find new clients? Is there kind of a Special sales strategy you're using to land these clients?
3: Yeah, um, we pr- I think, and I say this without knowing too much, but I'm pretty sure we generate more new business and leads than any other agency in the country. We we are the fastest growing. I think that's a it's a close statement. We wouldn't be far off from the best if we're not. Uh, we sign between 60 and 80 new companies to hawk every month. So um, we uh, we've built it a lot more like a SaaS program. So there's a lot of moving parts on our. I mean, we drink our own punch. We're a marketing company. We do a lot of marketing. So we do a lot of partnerships. As I mentioned, our whole ecosystem, like all those software companies that we recommend for our clients, they recommend us as the agency. So we have those kind of partnerships. We have uh, we spend you know close, probably close to 100 grand a month on advertising, both LinkedIn, Facebook, Google. Uh, We're looking at a lot of other like email drops and podcast advertising that we haven't gotten into yet as well as direct mail. We have a really strong social and community strategy. Like we're very active on social, engaging with our peers as well and our our clients as well as we have a Slack community of over 2000 brand professionals that we have curated. That's, you know, pretty open. Um, We have a really robust event strategy. Um, As I I think I mentioned earlier, we're hosting a brand awards in April. We're hosting e-commerce week. In uh, October, we are we use, used to do monthly happy hours, quarterly dinners, and also piggyback other conferences where we'd host an event at a conference. So we do a ton of that stuff. And now we just do a ton of it virtually, but we still invest a lot in the event side. Um, really strong PR strategy. We probably get two to three PR hits on the Hawk a day. Um, so we're constantly getting written up. Content, we constantly generate uh, new content, whether it's our weekly kind of industry report we put out or uh, just constant blog posts on tips and tricks and marketing and sales and building a business and entrepreneurship, et cetera. Um, Just thinking through what else. Uh, We have an outbound sales strategy, just the cold prospecting, cold emailing, cold calling kind of thing. Um, I know one of my marketing people are going to hate me because I'm going to skip over something that I forgot. Um, But, uh, and then I'm also, I'm a megaphone on it all. So I'm constantly out and about promoting the brand, speaking, I'm, pod, I'm on podcasts, we're putting out a book, like, that. that's a piece of it, too. And so, yeah, just a constant barrage of every way we can to get our name out there.
2: Sounds like a pretty well-oiled machine with both the uh, sales and marketing side of
3: things. Well, a machine with a lot of opportunity.
2: <laughs> and Eric, how, how's kind of your our team structured? What are some of the key roles within the company, yeah. uh, both within sales and marketing?
3: So, you know, what we've structured now is we have our sort of what we call our servant leadership team, which can feel a little kitschy, but it's fun too. Cause it's a reminder, like we're there to serve the people we're working for, so to speak. Um, that's myself, my business co-founder and COO, uh, our head of client services or client success, I should say, our head of services, our head of sales, our head of marketing, um, our head of finance, and then we're bringing on a new head of HR. So that's the leadership team. From there, under services is where we have those four departments that we service clients with. So again, strategy, lifecycle, creative, and media. Those each have a head of the department. Um, and then from there, there's ma- you know management as well, and then the people, frankly, doing the work. On the sales side, it's similar. We have you know sort of our our best, longest-standing you know business development people, which we call directors of growth, and they build we build a team around them. Then we have our business development executives that are just, you know, account executives, you know, standard kind of scaling up to that. And we have uh, we have assistance on every director of growth that we call business development assistants. We have business development reps, which are the cold calling people. And then we have an infrastructure around them, sales operations, sales management.
1: And now, Eric, is are you have people all over the country, all over the world. I know you're in California, but you know, all those big areas where you might have to service clients like, like New York city yeah. and Dallas and all in San Francisco. What's so, that model?
3: Yeah. So pre COVID we had offices in LA, New York, Boston, and Baltimore. And we were looking at expanding into Miami, Dallas, Chicago, San Francisco, and Atlanta. Um, that was like our, we January, February, we were working on that. And now, in July, we went remote in March. In July, I basically told the team, you know what, remote's working, Like if you let's vote. If you guys wanna stay remote, we can just get rid of the offices. And I did a vote and 84% of people wanted to stay remote. And I was like, it's long enough into this that you know what you're getting into, so done. So, it's taking a while, but I think we finally found someone to take our massive office in LA. But uh, the idea was, okay, you're remote now. I won't force you to come back in an office to do whatever you wanna do. Um, and our people are now in 21 plus different states after being in four in July. So quickly, by November, I think we had hit 21 states. So like people just went great. We started hiring everywhere. We started uh, letting people go wherever they wanted. And now, you know, our people not only are living in 21 states, but they travel wherever they want to. Like I'm going to go live in Utah for the month of February because it's been a teenage dream of mine to spend a month or two on a ski resort. I'm gonna go do that and work from the resort. And I found a tiny resort where I got a cheap cabin and I'm gonna go do that. So um, yeah, it's really opened up a lot of fun opportunity. And so to answer your other part of the question, which is like clients, clients do wanna know that their people are down the street, even though it means nothing. Um, if you, And I've had this debate with a lot of entrepreneurs and it's like, where's your insurance agent? Where's your lawyer? Um, and where's your accountant? Oh no shit, they're all in your city. When's the last time you were at any of their offices or saw them in person? Like it's pointless, but it's a psychological thing. And we're just, why fight it? Why fight human nature? Like let's just be on the ground in all these places. So we're using COVID as an opportunity to hire in all these places without any physical location. And then the idea is we'll figure out what that will look like when this opens up But having people all over the country will help.
2: Eric, it sounds like your business was not quite as affected during COVID as most people.
3: Yeah, so kind of. April, we lost 25% of our clients. So it was a hit, Uh, but this is what I learned a lot about our industry in this. So we lost 25% because we worked with gym chains and restaurants and stuff too, but we also enough people panicked, which it's funny. I'm in my gut and I was biased, but in my gut I knew like, don't pull back on marketing. People are not, we have $1,200 going into people's bank accounts. No, most people are not losing their jobs. The people that you see this unemployment, these are all restaurant workers. These are all people that don't have discretionary income generally either, not to disparage them. I'm just saying. Most of our clients were not relying on those workers to spend money. They're relying on everyone else that kept their jobs because they can work remote. And so we're like, don't like, we're talking about furniture brands and things like that. I'm like, do not cut your marketing spend. 75% of our clients listened to me and us and our average client that stuck with us doubled their revenue in Q2 this year was insane because there was so much opportunity online and that's our job. The companies that fired us either already had problems and you know, that was an issue or, were scared and made decisions out of fear. And I don't know that many of them have recovered because you you with digital, if you cut off your marketing, you're cutting off your oxygen. And so that was the big thing I learned about my industry. I spent this is that was six years into our business. So six years I spent going, you know, I don't think a recession will crush our business because we're a cost effective solution, but it might. But if the whole world shuts down, we're screwed because we're month to month. Everyone can fire us overnight. I was kidding. I didn't think the whole fucking world could shut down, but it did. And so I went, I was definitely in a little bit of panic mode that first week or two while we tried to triage. But then we realized that, again, we had lost 25% of our business. We were going to be a little underwater, but we did have a line of credit that we could go into a little debt if we needed to. And we, thankfully, we actually just didn't. We actually ended up like, I think like $2,000 above that line, but we had that fallback that let me sleep a little bit. It wasn't going to last long, but it was something. And, uh, and then also what happened is because we're month to month, I thought that was going to be a reason we die in a downturn. Turned out to be our saving grace because my peers, most agencies drop 50, 80% of revenue because if you've got a year contract, people are panicking they're in their contract when they don't know what's going to happen in the next year and they're trying to get out. For us, we were able to say, listen, fire us. If you struggle, fire us next month. Fire us the month after. You don't have to get ahead of it. That's the point. And so we were able to let people take a breath and they stuck with us. On top of that, because we're month to month, we actually signed, and this is our worst month in a few years, but we still signed 36 new clients in April of COVID. And I, more than that, I think it was 50 in March. Like we still had okay months, it wasn't great, but we, we, we so we lost 25% of my customers, but then we replaced 10%. We brought in another or 36 clients at the time when we were about 400. So like we, we were able to bring it. So we dipped, our revenue dipped about 15% in April, recovered in May and we had a record month in June and had a record year. And on top of that, it forced us to look at our business better, cut all costs that were bullshit. I mean, you know, stupid perks that nobody cared about. We had kombucha on tap, no one was in the office. That was an easy one to cut. I hated that thing. That was like a symbol of everything wrong with startups to me. So I was so happy to cut that. I was verbal about my team, it is no surprise to my team. But we were giving massages on Fridays. We were doing things that like were nice, but you just come to realize like there's a lot of things that they they kind of start taking it for granted and they don't care. And so we cut all that and all of a sudden, our, like our, we grew decently on top line last year, but our profit tripled because we were, and we didn't lay off anyone. We didn't cut anyone because, you know, morally, I was like, I, I actually just, you know, we lost a bunch of clients, but I was like, I want, let's just have them work on a Hawk stuff. We actually, I remember now in April, we put up a board of all our internal projects that we were doing for like the Hawk marketing team. And we asked people that had some bandwidth to help. So that i didn't that I could get some value out of those people that weren 't working as hard, but we didn't have to i didn't want to fire anyone so that's that's what we were able to do and thank god yes we're in we're specifically in an industry that skyrocketed in this and did really well and so and I think it's only getting better for us this year now that people are not running with fear anymore
2: yeah that's cool a funny funny story uh, maybe a week before the pandemic started and we started working for remotely, we were going to install this Fancy drink machine that had 50 yeah. different types of drinks coming out, and uh, they keep reaching out to me still at 50% discount. I'm like, what? what, what? There's nobody at the office. In,
3: yeah. <laughs> I have to say that a few people have reached out to me for like things to put in my office, and I'm like, you, you gotta do like good luck. <laughs> Thank god, like, pr- good example, I love seeing what Snack Nation did. They were doing office snacks and they had built a massive company. and Sean, the founder, and Andy, his co founder, are awesome guys, and they pivoted to just be like a you know employee perk company during COVID and their, their, their revenue of an office snack company in the middle of the pandemic stayed flat. They didn't dip at all. It was an incredible story. They like went boop because they just jumped right into something else because they had a bunch of big uh, business contacts that they're like, I don't know what to do with my employees being at home. How do I make this a good place to work when they're at their own house? What do I do? And they became the experts in that. It was an amazing pivot. There were some incredible pivots throughout this.
2: Eric, you obviously are a very ambitious guy, have a kind of great plan for the next five, 10 years. Is there anything specific to 2021 that you're hoping to accomplish that you can share?
3: I mean, number one, I'd like to see people again. That'd be fun. But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, what I'd like to, like, there's a couple of things. I, I want to I want to see us have the ability to set a plan and execute on it. Meaning we have projections for 2021. We have very, very clear numbers and projections and an operating model now that I want to see. I'm so comfortable with what we put together and now it's just, will this work? Like I think it will. We have all the leading indicators that it should, but by the end of this year, I'll have full confidence hopefully that we can lay out a plan and really start to operate on it biannual three year kind of plan basis to really figure out how to get there and have execution models that get us there. So like, that's what I'm trying to do now is like be able to lay out a plan in in a very much more disciplined way. Cause I've been running by the seat of my pants for a few years. Like this hasn't been like, this is my three year plan. It's just like, this sounds good, let's go. So um, that's number one. And all, and number two, that goes very much into that is we have a great executive team now. Can they do it? I want to be additive, not mandatory or necessary. So I want them to execute the plan. They can run with it. So I can go do other shit that uh, uh, complements it and adds to it. And I can be an X factor versus an executor. And so that's, those two go hand in hand with this year is like, I want to know that my, my partner said it and then backpedal, because I wanted to make sure he didn't meet, we didn't actually mean it. But he's like, we want my, Tony's my partner. Tony said, Eric and I want to be able to go to Cabo for six months, come back and the company's better. Not maintain better. And so we're trying to figure out how do we enable our people? And it's on us as much as it's on them. We need to create an environment that enables them to do that. And so we're really trying to get them more comfortable with us, comfortable with pushback, comfortable with taking the reins. And I'm saying a lot of what, you know, what would you do? Great. Do that. Like, I'm not answering it. I'm not answering problems. I'm trying to not be the problem solver and they're smart people. It's just, more of a cultural thing that you get into where it's like, I'm the leader. So they're going to come to me and say, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to give them the power to be able to make those decisions so I can slowly focus on more growth and not have to deal with, you know, things I've been doing for seven years.
1: uh, Eric, we have just a, a few more questions left, but I have to ask our staple question here that we ask all of our guests on the marketing stir LinkedIn. You're a CEO and founder. You probably get solicited all the time via LinkedIn for certain things. What's the message that Eric responds to? Now, what's a pet peeve that people hit you up with?
3: Oh, uh, yeah. If you offer me free marketing leads or free leads for my agency, I'm just going to ignore it because I get 80 of those a day. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a pet peeve. Um, a few minutes of your time, like jump on a call, coffee, anything that's like uh, my, that could be followed up with why is my pet peeve. Get to the point. Um, If you want to offer something, like if you want me to do something, ask if you want me to. uh, And also, I mean, the easiest way, this is no brainer is like if you can offer value to me in a real way. And don't tell me you have value for me, but actually offer it. Like, Hey, I have a client that needs marketing help. Yeah. You're probably gonna get my attention. Um, Doesn't always have to be that way, but that's an easy one. If someone pings me and goes, I want to talk to you because we need, we need to hire an agency. They're going to get an answer. Um, though I will say LinkedIn gets so bogged down and miss them sometimes, which is frustrating, but, um, if it's not that, if you don't have that to offer, uh, whatever it is, make sure that it actually solves something for me. Like people hit me up. Like, I would love to show you my software. I'm not even going to take the time to find out what the hell it is. Cause I don't have that kind of time. Like, tell me what it's solving for me. understand my problems and I'm happy to take a look, but you know, someone taking my time and by the way, I do tons of mentoring, tons of. I'm a clubhouse we were talking about before this is a great new platform that I've spent a ton of time answering like entrepreneurial questions. If it's quick, concise questions, I'm happy to answer it too, but asking for time, it's no luxury I don't have. So I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just like literally schedule myself 12 hours a day and there's no more. I, I have a wife that would get a very angry if it became more.
1: Yeah. And uh, no, that's good advice. That's, it's, it's the time aspect of it so we like that eric for fun what do you like doing my producers tell me you're training to be lethal i'd love to learn more about that just love what that word means like that's like to understand more about that are you are you doing antarctica as well aj's (laughs) over here complaining about some sleep and you got friends doing antarctica
3: you know uh yeah i'll go right to the lethal thing that was funny um no a friend of mine married the guy that trained keanu reeves to be john wick He's like a, he's an American guy, but ex-Israeli Defense Forces, like counterterrorism guy, like nice. crazy background. And he calls me and he's like, "Hey, you know, Leah told me that you're like the marketing genius, and I need help marketing my business. So how about uh, I, you teach me marketing and I train you to be lethal?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm in. Whatever the, whatever that means, I'm let's do it." So, been training with his name's Aaron Cohen. Cherries is the company. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, he's he's great. That became a more recent hobby. I, I got to know a little bit of shooting uh, when I was 30 because I grew up in a super liberal, household super liberal, state, city, everything, never shot a gun. And then at like 30, I was like, you know what? Like half the country is really comfortable with these things. I kind of want to be too. Like I'm just going to like try it out. And then I enjoyed it. It's a hobby. So that's it with that. But uh, no, that's not the main one. I'd say snowboarding, die hard as mentioned. we you're trying to get out, we're going to go stay on Utah, the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, I get heli boarding. I do an entrepreneur heli trip every year, except for this year. It's supposed to be in two weeks, but got canceled, obviously. Um, mountain biking through COVID became a reunited hobby. I was a big mountain biker in high school. Um, broke too many bones and got my bike stolen and gave it up. But we actually do all the marketing for Diamondback and Raleigh and their whole portfolio of bicycle companies. And so I called the CEO in April. Thankfully, right before they sold out of everything and everybody got this idea, but been avidly mountain biking. And I love fitness. Um, try to work out almost every day, or actually, I should say, every day. I have the Apple Watch, so I'm at like day 105 of no days off. And uh, the last one is travel. Love seeing the world. Yeah. Uh, we had a big trip planned with my wife in May to go to Rwanda to hike with the gorillas. It's now supposed to be this July. Praying that actually happens, but I think we're we should be in good shape.
1: That's awesome. And what about you? Know what have you been binging on TV? Uh, what are some shows out there? Cobra Kai. Great yeah. show. Super. I'm, fun. A, I'm on uh, season one. My wife's not nearly as excited as I am about that,
3: but I love, uh, I'm loving it. So my wife didn't grow up with like pop culture as much in her household. She was a competitive figure skater and was like super focused. So I like never saw Karate Kid. Um, so I got to like introduce her to all of it. She got into it. So it was fun. We watched, it's a, cheesy as hell show but it's super fun it's very uh, 80s yeah hey Jake, yeah. you get into cobra
1: kai i didn't ask you that uh i have
2: not it's on my list
1: but i have not actually yeah that's it. on my list and i still haven't seen the mandalorian i have to see it i'm a huge I star wars season. fan
3: that was good yeah. um I, the new wonder woman was terrible sorry to I, say. Heard,
1: I heard no. i heard i heard i didn't see the first one just because I, I have kids oh, now good. so hard for me to get but i heard the first one is great yeah I heard the second great. one is just garbage garbage
3: yep uh, i like we finished and i was like eh and then all the social, we watched it the night it came out yeah. and then all the social media went crazy. It was Christmas, I think, it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else are we, I mean, I feel like we end up watching, we like, trying all sorts of stuff. There's a show Legends, I don't even know what channel it was on, but it's on Netflix now that's like a UFC fighter show that is tacky as well, but some good acting actually, but a ridiculously overdramatic storyline. Yeah, uh, heard of that. it's a lot of, fighting and working out and so i was i've been again working out every day so i was actually putting it on i have built a little gym in our place so i put it on the tv while i was working out that was a fun one to binge um a bunch honestly like weekends i i do i do work a few hours on weekend days but like we're talking three not eight ten so i like i take a break i go outside i go we all oh and we also got into golfing in the past couple months never i was into it when i was like a preteen, and my wife and i took it up together so that's been a little fun too
1: yeah, the second person in a row talk about the golfing on the podcast. I'm like, ah, you know, it's uh it's something that, you know, in New York City there's not a ton of uh places to go. You have to go Kelsey on the outside. Yeah, Chelsea Pier. A lot of that's closed down. You can yeah. just like hit the ball there, but uh got to take that up again i got way too many things already but uh that's awesome eric you know thank you for taking some time with us today we love it love your story keep up the amazing work that's eric huberman the ceo and founder of hawk media i am vincent petrofest the vice president of b2b products at starista that is aj gupta the ceo and founder of starista this has been the marketing third thank you so much for joining us talk to you soon
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Stirista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. And Thanks for listening.